Uh, you guys can have a seat. Uh, if this is your first time with us, my name's Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, welcome this morning. Uh, we are going to be in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 this week. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to grab one. Uh, yeah, let's pray. <clears throat> uh, King Jesus, this is your day. You're our God. You have changed us, you have transformed us, and you have made us new. And so with our new hearts and empowered by the Holy Spirit, I just pray we would so clearly see, Jesus, who you are, what you've done, and what it means that we belong to you. I pray that we would bring our dead works to you today, all the stuff we do to try and earn your love. We just bring it to you and say we just want to be loved. And that we'd know that, that you don't want to love us because we bring you stuff. You love us because you love us. You love us because of the cross. You love us because of the gospel. And that you've loved us first. And that we can bring you those things, but not as dead works, but as fragrant offerings. Not that you need anything from us, but because you are everything. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name and for your glory. Jesus Christ, amen. Um, Okay, so we're in Jeremiah 31, and today we're going to talk about God's plan for change in our lives. Um, in 1995-ish, I made my parents drive me to the mall. Now, we didn't go to the mall in my town because I couldn't have anyone see me be at the mall doing what I was doing, so we went to the mall in the town over. And at the mall, I, I bought a pair of black 501 Levi's jeans, a bunch of black t-shirts, a black-on-black a golf shirt at Sears. Now, mind you, this is before uh, people were really aware of a thing called the Hot Topic, or um, we use the internet for anything. The internet was for my friends who followed bands who no one had ever heard of, uh, and the websites were made by the bands. They made themselves, and they'd get excited when they were the hundredth person that visited the website. Right? That was that was 1995, um, and you had to use the computer at school because they were the only people that actually had the internet. It was weird. So it's 1995, and I'm buying. Uh, all these black, black on black golf uh, jacket, some black work boots, and this is all at Sears, mind you. Uh, and that was the day I went from being a Bellingham hippie to being a Bellingham goth. Uh, and when I say goth, don't think uh, Marilyn Manson, because that wasn't really a thing yet either, because it's 1995. Uh, think more like the Smiths, right? And so, uh, or not the Smiths, pardon me, uh, more like the Cure. There we go. Um, and so with a bunch of tapes I ordered from BMG, uh, which were things you put in a Walkman, uh, which played them, uh, and my new ensemble, I went into school on Monday, changed and different. Now, the problem was, uh, is that I'm not actually sure, I couldn't articulate in that moment in 1995 as a freshman in high school, what I thought was going to happen. I'm not sure if I thought uh, the cooler, older punk rock kids were going to like me or my other uh, peers around me uh, who also felt uh, alienated by the other kids at school uh, were going to celebrate what I had done or, or that people would look at me. I'm not sure what I thought was going to happen, but I thought something was going to happen. I thought this was going to do something in my life and that it was going to make everything different. And the problem was my clothes were different, but I was the same. And, and all the things that I was still feeling in life uh, didn't change. I just had a new outfit, right? And we do this. We think, um, oh, I'll get on this program, or I'll, I'll change the way I do this, or uh, I'll change uh, uh, this about my life, or the clothes that I have, or the things that I do. Uh, and the problem is, is my dad, who loves horrible old movies, uh, Buckaroo Banzai would say, no matter where you go, there you are. 
So you had the makeover, but you're still you, and all your problems kind of follow you there. You move to a new town, and you, you're there, right? And, and we find ourselves in Jeremiah 31 in this scene uh, where God's people have found themselves in exile. Uh, they've disobeyed God, and they've dishonored God, and they've been carted off to Babylon uh, as slaves. And there they are, and their whole thinking, their whole mindset is that if we could just get home, if we could just get back to the promised land, everything will be okay. And there was a big problem with that. And if you know the story at all, the reason they're in Babylon is because things weren't okay in the promised land. Why weren't they okay in the promised land? Because they were there. They were there and they weren't believing God. And from this text, I want us to see that God's plan for change in our life is not a bunch of external things that we do, but God's plan for change in our lives is Jesus who changes us from the inside out, not the outside in. Uh, Let's pick it up in 31. So this is what he's saying to these people who think, if we could just get home, everything's going to be hunky-dory. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If you could please leave your finger right there. Boom. And then go with me really super duper quickly uh, to Luke chapter 32. And in Luke, Luke 22, he says this. Jesus says this. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you. Uh, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. I I want you to see from here, as we even dig into this, that that the new covenant, when you think new covenant, think Jesus' covenant. Think what Jesus is coming to do uh, for them. What we know Jesus has come and done. We're living in the wake of the promise they received. Right? We have to be careful with the Old Testament uh, because there's this Old Covenant, New Covenant thing we're going to talk about, and things were really different. But don't be confused. The people of old were saved uh, the same way of people of new. And that was through faith and by grace in Jesus. They just called Him Hamishka, and they were waiting for Him. And we know He's come, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God Himself incarnate. And we'll talk about how that worked out differently for them in the Old Covenant because things were weird and hard, and it was not cool. But at the end of the day, they were saved. They were God's people. And and they're with God now for the same reason we get to be with Jesus forever. And that's Jesus. They just didn't know His name was Jesus yet. Okay, so 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, the Jesus covenant, with you. Like the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Uh, Covenant's weird for us. Because when was the last time you made a covenant? Unless you're in a Christian premarriage class, you didn't talk about it, Right? Um, covenant, we, kinda can, we can default to contract. Don't default to contract. Default to relationship. Right? Uh, covenant is not as much a legal document as a relationship. The covenant, the relationship between God and His people. Um, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the people of God. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Not like the covenant. He's reminding them, right? They're captives and they're stuck. He's reminding them of another time God's people were stuck 
and they were captives. And he's reminding them of his character. Do you know what God does for captives? You know what Jesus does for captives? Jesus makes captives free. That's what Jesus does with captives. He makes them free. When we're caught in our addiction, when we're caught in our dead religion, when we're caught just being afraid um, to do the right things that we know we're supposed to do in life, uh, when we're caught trying to make God happy by the things we do, we need to know the reality that Jesus is the one who makes us free. And that that has been God's story. That has been God's character from day one. In Exodus, He heard their cries. And they were crying out to Him. And He shows up in a burning bush and He says, Hey Moses, we're going to let some people go. We're going to get some people free. And He does. And what's amazing about it is, is that the Old Covenant, this covenant that they make with God, this relationship they have with God, uh, though we're going to see from Hebrews, is completely imperfect and needs so much fixing. And the New Covenant so much better. Essentially, it goes like this. They're in Egypt. They're even grumbling against God at times. Uh, they're not necessarily faithful, but God is faithful. And He comes and He saves them. He gets them out of Egypt. And it's not even until He's gotten them out of the spot they find them in until He even says what the covenant looks like. He shows them first and foremost, this is who I am. And the covenant He makes with them is, and this is how you respond to it. He's a saving God. He always has been and always will be. And He's a God that saves us by making us free. He saved them by making them free. And He's reminding these people sitting in captivity that He's going to do this. And this is, this is an interesting thing here, right? My covenant that they broke, and the language God uses is for Himself here. Though I was their husband declares the Lord. Though I was their husband, they went around worshiping pretend gods. They went around worshiping idols. They went around getting after their sin and their own stuff and in so doing said, you're not our husband. This thing I'm after is my husband. You're not the one I care about. This is what I care about. You're not ultimate in life. This thing, this created thing, is ultimate in my life. And he says, they broke my covenant though I was their husband. But everything from here, is, he's reminding them of how much grace he's going to show them. This is God. This is what he does, right? Abraham, Abram, I'm going to call you out and you're going to be mine. And I'm going to bless you through your wife, even though she's super old and you're going to have kids and it's going to be awesome. And the first thing Abraham does, as soon as he gets a chance, he shows up somewhere new and they say, who's this? And he says, that's my sister. Oh, okay, cool. Well, and he was afraid they were going to kill him because uh, he thought that they would want to take his wife if they found out that it was his wife. So he's, hey, just tell him you're my sister. And God comes and he threatens the king. He says, I'm going to kill you because you've got Abraham's wife. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Wife? Sister? Yeah, sister. Wife. Oh, he lied to me. Dirty dog. And the king gets really upset. And he sends Abraham out. And you know what one of the next things Abraham does as you're reading Genesis? Next on Abraham's list, he shows up somewhere new. Who's that? Oh, that's my sister. Really, Abraham? You walked in a pattern of habitual sin and you fell into your sin trap again. Really? And God doesn't look at him and go, really? Okay, Abraham, I'm going to find somebody new. He says, Abraham, knock it off. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I'm doing? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you trust me, Abraham? And he shows Abraham grace. He still uses Abraham. He's not done with Abraham. And you go down the list, right? Peter's the best example ever. Jesus, I will kill anybody if they try and touch you. 
You're going to deny me three times, Peter. No, no, not me, never. No, I would never deny you. I would never fall short of the glory of God. I would never do something of this sinful Jesus. I will always, always do this right. No, you won't. And then he falls short. And then Jesus restores him. And then sometimes we, we do this weird thing where we then try and read the rest, of the, old, or the rest of the New Testament where Peter's not screwing up ever. And just Peter keeps screwing up. He won't eat with the Gentiles because he like, forgets that it's the New Covenant and he gets all Old Covenant and he won't eat with them because they're Gentiles and they're not circumcised and according to the Old Covenant he shouldn't be eating with them and Peter has, is doing this and Paul, the guy who is the religious guy of religious guys has to show up and say, what are you doing? Don't you know we're in the New Covenant, man? He said, oh, yeah, I forgot. And he does that again and again and again and nowhere in there does God say, all right, I'm done with you. He keeps restoring, he keeps showing showing him favor and grace as long as he repents and turns back to God and the truth. Because he's their husband. What a, I mean, the name he chooses to call himself there, even though they, they betrayed him and they turned from the truth of him again and again, although I was their husband. But hear this. But this, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. So, he, he's not throwing it away. Right? Adam and Eve disobey God. He makes them. And his response to them is not like, I'm going to throw you away and we're going to do 2.0 and we're going to do this right. His response is to make a promise that he himself, through his son Jesus, Genesis 3, is going to come and put everything back the way it's supposed to be. That's the God we serve. And here he is, even though they totally, totally, totally did what they shouldn't have done. Though he was their husband. Though they're in, in, in captivity because of their own actions. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, or these days. After these days, after you're in captivity, declares the Lord. Here what he says. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And you can put dot, 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 even though they're big old screw-ups. That it's not about how good they act, it's about how good I am, how faithful I am. Now here's a hard one for us. This word law. This is the word Torah. Um, and I don't want to get overly picky with words. But when we hear law, particularly as New Testament Christians who know we're not stuck in the law anymore and stuck by a bunch of other, the Old Testament stuff, when we hear law, we actually miss that this is a really deep word. This is the word Torah. And when the word in the plural is laws, it should always be laws because that's what he means, the rules. But when it's Torah, this word is the teaching of God. This is God's teaching, which does include laws, does include rules, does include this is who I am and this is how you live in the wake of who I am. That's a law. That's his law. This is who I am. This is how you respond to me. And we do it differently in the Old Covenant than we do in the New Covenant. We'll talk about it in a minute. But when he says Torah, you're like, oh man, I, want the, I don't want a bunch of rules in me. Right, we read that, and, and, and I mean, we do this, right? We can get this sense that what it is to become a Christian is just another makeover. Right? It's the makeover. When I was in high school, I thought I was doing my makeover by getting my, my black golf jacket. Not that cool, right? 
And I saw the other Christian kids, and I thought their makeover, there were genuine believers in my school, and I thought they, their makeover was just cho- choosing like the sort of like cleaned up suburban bubblegum vanilla ice cream lifestyle, and it was just the outside that they were working on. And there's some of that, because we do that as a church, right? The first thing we do to a new believer is we put them to work, right? Oh, you became a Christian? Here's a stack of books you should read. Welcome to boot camp, Right? We rarely start with, you've become a Christian. Here's what you need to know at the core of your being. Jesus Christ, God Himself, in fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, came into history to save you from yourself for His glory. And the way you glorify Him is knowing how much He loves you and loving Him right back. Pointing to the weight of the beauty of who He is. And you can't add anything to Him and you can't add anything to what you've done, uh, what you do to become a Christian because what He did was die on the cross to bleed and to wash you from your sins and to make you His own and that you're saved from your sin and from Satan and from from hell and you're saved from all these things, but you're saved to this life as His kids and in His family and in His people and to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and to live for His glory. And you can't do anything to earn that. So yeah, I'm a book nerd. You come to my house, there's books and I think they're decorations, right? But you don't need a stack of books to be a Christian. You need Jesus to become a Christian. The first thing you need to do is not starting word studies. You need to rest because it's finished. And if you know it's finished, then it's time to do some word studies because they're awesome. (laughs) But you can never parse a Greek word in your whole life and still be just as covered in the blood of Jesus Christ to be His. Now, I love word studies, and I'll teach you how to do them all day long. They're awesome. I want to know the depth of the riches of God's Word. But we start with resting. That's what this covenant's about. Because I'm going to put their law inside them. I'm going to put my Torah in them. So when you read law, I, I love the ESV. It's the Bible I use. But they always, always translate this word law. Teaching was probably what was intended here. But what, what the nuance was. I will put my teaching. I will put my teaching within them. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the truth incarnate. God's teaching. Everything God wanted to say to us, He incarnated in Himself, in His Son, His message to humanity, Jesus. He says, and if My Word abides in you in John 8.31, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I think that's what He has more in mind when we're talking about the, the teaching inside of us, not just the rules. Now, if you know that teaching, you'll know what to do and not to do. Uh, I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Praise the Lord. Let's come back to this heart. So how's he going to do this thing? How's he going to do this thing that's going to produce in us 34? How's he going to do uh, the stuff of 34? How is he going to put his law within us? How is he going to write this on our hearts? Because we're living in this promise. Uh, If you'd go with me to a similar promise in Ezekiel, another prophet dealing with captivity, dealing with some of the same stuff, and another promise forward to the person of Jesus and the change God brings in our life because of Jesus, not just because of our actions. 
36, we'll start in 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your own sake, uh, for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. It's not because you're awesome that I'm about to do this. It's not because you're the A-team that I'm about to do what I do. Does that sound like the gospel? It's not because you've done something to earn God's love. That I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned, by the way, gang, among the nations to which you came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know, what? And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the God. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Matthew 28. That's what he says. I will take you from the nations and gather you. This is a new Israel. This is a bigger, better Israel through Jesus. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from your uncleanliness. Who makes us clean from our uncleanliness? Jesus. What is it that makes us a church? It's not... That, that, that I said, you know, I'm going to clean my act up. And I think that means that I'll clean my act up and then I'll go to Jesus and I'll become a Christian. I'm going to put it on my Sunday best so Jesus will like the way I look and I'm going to become a Christian. I came to Jesus jacked up with empty hands saying, I need you to save me from myself. I need you to cleanse me from my iniquities. I need you to do something I can't, Jesus. This is God's plan for change, Jesus. Be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And listen to this. Think, think back to what we just said back in 31, 33. I will give you a new heart. How is that heart? How are we going to have a written? How is this going to be written on our heart? We're getting a new one. I will remove, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and the way we once walked in the course of this world, following power and the principality of air. But Jesus made us alive together with Him. Total remix. Cut out a bunch of stuff. But that's Ephesians 2. I was dead. He made me alive. How much transformation do I experience? How much does Jesus change us? When we meet Jesus, we go from being dead to being alive. That's how much different. We go from being a gra- in the graveyard to being out here and being alive, spiritually speaking. This word heart, uh, if, you've, if you've picked this up, if you've read your Bible, you're like, oh, I don't think he's just talking about the organ in my chest. No. Uh, and he's not just talking about emotions. He's talking about you. He's talking about your intellect. He's talking about, when it says heart, it means your intellect, your emotions, what drives you, what's get, what gets you out of bed in the morning, why you do what you do. The core of who you are as a human person. And he says, I'm going to take that core of who you are as a human person apart from Jesus, and I'm going to give you a new heart, and you're going to be new. And you're going to be clean. Amazing. And they're waiting on the promise. We get to live in the promise. They're waiting on this promise. And he's reminding them in all these things, you think the change you need is a new city. 
you think the change you need is a new place to live. And I'm telling you, the change you need is you. You need to change, and you can't change you. Not this way. Right? You can't will this. Uh, uh, you know, you're trying to quit smoking, and so you put a rubber band on your wrist. You ever seen this? Horrible thing to watch one of your friends do. They put a rubber band on the wrist, and every time they want a camel wide, they go, and they snap it, and they go, ow, that hurt. Okay, I won't smoke. Ow, ooh, that hurt, I won't smoke. I want to smoke. Ow. So if you quit smoking that way, who gets the credit for that? You, because you're doing this thing with your wrist all the time, and it's horrific, and don't do that. But that change is based completely on the will. In there, you don't actually want a cigarette less. You just don't want to snap yourself with a rubber band again. You haven't actually been delivered from your addiction to cigarettes. You just don't want the rubber band thing you're doing to yourself, which is horrible and wrong. He said, I'm going to do something different. That's your human plan for change. I've got God's plan for change, and it's Jesus. And I will remove the heart of stone uh, from your flesh and give you uh, your heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. Capital S, spirit. I will... Put my spirit within you. The Holy Spirit is going to come and take up in residence of those actual geographical residence inside those who love Jesus. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And something someone once observed, if that is true, which it is if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you whether you're paying attention to that reality or not. That's true. If that didn't happen, if it was just snapping ourselves with rubber bands all day long, there's only so much God can ask from you. Because you can only hit yourself with a rubber band so many times. There's only so far you can go. But if it turns out that God has made us new and put His Holy Spirit within us and is empowering us uh, to do the things He's calling us to do, if God Himself in the Holy Spirit is actually empowering us to do uh, what He's calling us to do, there's actually no limit to what He can ask from us. Because he's not asking you to white-knuckle it, and he's not asking you to do push-ups. He's asking you to trust him and depend on him every step of the way. That's really different than this. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people. And What? I shall be your God. Here's the old covenant. Here's who I am. This is what it looks like to respond to me. This is how it works out. I will be your God and you will be my people if you walk in my ways. Here's the new covenant. You will be my, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will cause you to walk in my ways. I will show grace and mercy to you. Uh, my son Jesus Christ will live the life you were supposed to live and I'll take that one instead of yours. And for all your sins and all your iniquities, He died on the cross your death, instead of you dying your death, he died your death, and I'll take that too. That's the new covenant. Um, putting it in another way, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, because he's done this. So now my relationship with God has changed. The place that needs to change first is not whether or not I'm smoking or whatever. You can smoke, whatever. The thing that needs to change is where you stand with God. That's what needs to change first. That's what needs to actually change. That will actually change something. 
Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God who made us. And if you earn any ESV, you're going to see a little note here for... They, they, they put the word competent here because they didn't want to say sufficient one more time. But I'm going to read it sufficient. Uh, coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If your aim is to follow the rules and not what makes you a good Christian, you will die. If your aim is to set up some ideal of what you're supposed to look like in life and that's all you're after, you will die. If the thing that you're after in life is seeing Jesus for who He is, walking in the freedom He's made for you, and walking and following Jesus by the Spirit He's put in you, you'll live. You don't need a stack of books. Church is not boot camp. You need Jesus. You need the Spirit. And we do this coming in. You need to clean your life up before you can become a Christian. And we do this going out. You're a Christian. The first thing we do is we put you to work. Yeah, work. I'm not saying don't work. I'm just saying that's not our starting point. We work at responding to Jesus in all his glory. Hebrews quotes this very passage, Jeremiah 31, we're looking at. And he, he breaks down for us the difference between these two covenants. Because the first covenant, uh, God showed us how externally to respond to who he is. And uh, the people of God made it way more about the externals than actually responding to God. They, they lost their heart for God and got their heart for doing stuff. Okay? But the new covenant's different. We'll be in uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. There's a lot of ground to cover here, so I might skip over a little bit. But here we go. We'll start in 6. Um, but as uh, it is, Christ... Messiah, that word Christ is uh, a title. The, the Hebrews, uh, Messiah. The Greek is Christos. The promised one. The promised one who is at work in Jeremiah 31. The promised one who is at work in Ezekiel 36. The promised one who is at work in Genesis 3. Jesus is that promised one, and this is what he came to do. Has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on a better prom on better promises for if the first covenant had been faultless there would have been no occasion for a second so sometimes we can get a little bored with the gospel and we kind of think uh maybe i'll eat kosher sometimes that'd be cool i'll eat bacon on weekends but i'll be kosher sometimes galatians says hey hey if you want to do the old covenant thing you got to live and die by the old covenant thing, and that's how you're being going to be judged. Jesus has come. It's not about what you eat. It's not about externals. It's about internals. It's not about an external circumcision. It's about a circumcision of the heart. It's not about what you do, but what Jesus has done for you. And if you want to leave that behind and go after rules and follow rules and standing right before God because you've done a bunch of stuff, you'll be judged by the stuff, and you don't want to be judged by the stuff. If that thing worked, God wouldn't have brought a second covenant. He didn't bring a second covenant for fun. Jesus crying in the garden said, if there is another way, let this cup pass from me. Well, there was another way. It was the old covenant, but it wasn't the way that God had intended. That was not God's program for final change. That was not God's plan for change. The new covenant had to come and the mediator had to come, Jesus. It's better since it is enacted on better promises. Remember old promise? I will be your God and you will be my people. Better promise. 
That's a good promise, by the way. Better promise. I will be your God and you will be my people because I will cause you to walk in my ways. Uh, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, remember this one? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. And he throws some more stuff in here, but he keeps this framework and wants us to look back to Jeremiah 31. We'll skip down to 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. The old one from externals is over. Over. This is the covenant of a new heart, of a spirit within you. Externals over, internals on. Now, uh, he begins to unpack for, for us what some of the things looked like. Uh, now, even the first covenant had regulations of worship and an earthly place, so all these externals, externals. But I'm just going to skip down to five where he says... Um, on these things we cannot now speak in detail because that's where we're at. But you need to think external, 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 external. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes. The way the tabernacle is set up, there's the outside and there's this inside where the tabernacle sits with the glory of God, where God meets uh, with His people through the priest once a year. He is holy and separate and they are sinful and outside and He set up all this stuff for them to get clean and for them to walk in His ways. And this one guy gets to go in once a year. This is the old covenant promise. And but once a year. And not without taking blood, which He offers for Himself, and for the intentional sins of his people, he goes in clean. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. This is a foretaste of something way better coming, is what he's trying to say. The Holy Spirit is saying, this is a taste of something way cooler and way better that's coming. Which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot... Uh, perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So you, you screw up, God in His grace uh, says, okay, I'm not going to take it out on you, I'm going to take it out on the animal you bring, but the animal you bring only calls us even Stephen, and then you go out, you walk out of the, the temple, and you, uh, somebody cuts you off, and you flip them off, and you yell at them, and you've got to go back in, and you've got to do it again. And he even says of the old covenant, the priests, if the priests could do what the priests needed to do, they wouldn't keep doing it. Priest stands there all day. Next, what'd you do? Okay, let's deal with it. Next, what'd you do? Okay, let's deal with it. Next, I just dealt with you three minutes ago. I know, but you did the thing and then I laughed and then I screwed up again. Okay, next. And Jesus says of this old, or Hebrew says of this old thing, that, the law in the language, made nothing perfect. Because he had to do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And operates as a mirror, Galatians is going to tell us, to show how desperate we are and, and in need we are. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then though the greater and more perfect tent, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, once and for all, for all the right things I do, for all the wrong reasons, all the wrong things I've ever done, and for all the right things I just chose to look the other way on. For you and for me goes into the tent. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, 
but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Close the line down. Close it down. We're closed for business. It's over. One sacrifice for all. No more getting in line with your goat because somebody cut you off and you flipped them off, whatever the thing happened. It's over. As Jesus will say, it's finished. How? Kind of keep your mind there. So you keep your finger there if you're in there in your Bible. And all of a sudden you're like, huh, maybe there's a better way than a telephone to read my Bible because I can't stick my finger in my telephone. I'm just teasing. Just kidding. The death of Jesus, Mark 15, 37. And Jesus, he's on the cross here, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain, that curtain we were just talking about, the curtain between that separation of the holiest of holies, the place where the glory of God dwelt, that, that thing between us and between God, what happens? Now mind you, this is in the second temple and things aren't as cool as they were, but I don't really have time to unpack it. But you just need to know there's a symbolic thing happening between the access between people and God. They used to need priests, but after this they won't. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. How? From the top down, not the down up. From heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. The curtain is torn. As Jesus dies on the cross, as he pays the price for our sins, as he makes us right with God, and the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, Roman dude who helped murder him, stood facing him, saw this, in this way, he, as he breathed his last, he said, truly this man is the son of God, says the murderer of the only innocent man who ever lived. So go back to Hebrews. Not by means of bloods and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of the goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes in the heifer, uh, and a, of a heifer, sanctifying for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our own conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more has he saved us? How much more has he transformed us? How much more has he made access between us and God? So back in Jeremiah 34, 31, 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. Now mind you, we're talking about, who are we talking about? We're talking about the house of Israel. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. In this teacher part, Jesus says this in Matthew 23. He says, you guys want to be teachers to the Pharisees? And then in 28, he says, go therefore and teach them to do all that I've said. It's not that he doesn't want people to be teachers. The, 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 the connotation at work is the teachers that are mediators. The teachers that stand between you and between God, it's over. Because from the little kids who confess Christ all the way up to the grannies and granddads uh, at 95, uh, they are just as empowered by the Holy Spirit as a 2-year-old or a 35-year-old to know God and who He is because God's Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of them. Because the Word of God gets to dwell in them richly. Because of what Jesus has done, we are a nation of priests and there's no one between you and God. 
It's profound. It's important. Teaching's good. I want you to know Jesus better. That's what I've given my life to do is to teaching. But I never get to stand between you and God. I'm not the one that stands between you and God. There's one mediator between God and man, and His name is Jesus Christ. So this means that this isn't the only place you come to meet with God. It means that when it's 10.30 on Wednesday and you're on your plumbing job and you're knee-deep in the thing that plumbers are knee-deep in and the lady who hired you is yelling, or the guy whoever hired you is yelling at you because you're not working fast enough, you don't need to call me. You can text me and say, please pray for me. I'm happy to do that. But not as a mediator, but as a brother. In that moment, because of the curtain being torn, because your full, unfettered access to God, you can say to Jesus, help me please. And you can know the reality that the reason you're going to be able to forgive this lady is not because you're going to try harder, but because you've been so amazingly forgiven by Jesus Christ that you can show her some grace even though she's big a soldier. Because you have full access to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. You, Anchor Church, Wednesday at 10.30, have complete access to the way of change. Jesus. Why? Why do we have complete and unfettered access to God? Through His cross. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I will remember... Do you have anything in your life you regret? Any sin you've committed against anyone that you just wish you hadn't done when you look at it? What does God see there? I don't remember that one. You, you might. He doesn't. Your sin is as far as the east is from the west. doesn't remember it. As far as he's concerned, you're clean. He doesn't look at your life and say, hey, you remember that thing you did in the middle of 95? That guy's dead for starters. And it's forgotten. And you're clean. And you're his. And that's not between you and God. There's nothing between you and God because there's one mediator between us and God, the man Christ Jesus. So what does this mean for us then? All of a sudden, we understand that change is not uh, me trying harder. It's me seeing Jesus more and walking into what he's already done for me and who I already am because he's given me this new heart. And because we, we reduce change to like changing the recipe, right? Uh, I think I need a little more nutmeg. He needs a little more happy, a little less cranky. Let's just change the recipe and everything will be fine. We treat it like a car. It needs a tune-up. Oh, you're using the wrong oil. Just a little little less uh, irritated at 7.15 in the morning, a little more the way you are at 5.15 when you get off work. Let's just adjust it. Right? We need to be changed. We need to be new. We need to see the truth. It's not a makeover. Our program is always change. Uh, I'm going to change my outside and then it'll fix my inside. And I'm not saying there are things on your outside that don't need to change. I'm just saying if it's only changing externals, uh, it won't last because you find yourself with a whole new set of externals. Uh, if you're giving yourself over to one thing, you'll find yourself giving yourself over to another thing to get rid of that other thing if it's not from the inside out. 
Our method is outside. His method is inside. Our method depends on us. His method depends on Jesus. His method depends. God's method, God's plan depends on Jesus. Because if it's about me, honestly, I'm not that good. I'm not good enough and I'm not strong enough to stop doing the things I want to stop doing. I'm not good enough to free myself. I need a Savior to free me. And He will. He will. Meeting Jesus is not a Christian makeover. Things change, but it's, it's not the new outfit or the new books. It's the new heart. It's the new spirit. It's the new family. The purpose in our life is to glorify that God who saved us. The way we glorify that God that saved us, the way we turn from our sin and turn to Him, is to see and realize how much He's done. He's just poured out on us to display to the world that He's a good God. To realize how He's numbered the hairs on our head, how He's loved us first, despite who I was when He saved me from myself, and who I am as I walk as a Christian. It's because of Him and His love. And we respond to that. The way we glorify God, the way we magnify God, is pointing to the beauty of the love of God and who He is and His holiness and His perfection and His goodness. And loving Him and cherishing Him and obeying Him and believing Him and trusting Him and living our whole lives in the wake of the beauty and the glory of who He is. And when we do that, when we do that, we change the object of our focus in life. Right? It's not me trying to change by focusing on my sin. It's me changing by seeing Jesus and turning from my sin into Him. If you don't know Jesus, I'm not offering you a program. In fact, I'm not actually offering you anything. I'm telling you the good news. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will save you from yourself. He'll set you free. Because He's God and that's what He's in the business of doing. He'll pay the price. He's paid the price. He'll save you from your sins. He'll save you from your iniquity. He'll save you from your works and the things you're trying to do to be right in the world. And He'll save you from the things that you just can't bring yourself to do even though you, need, you know you need to do them. And we don't do that by cleaning up or picking up a stack of books. We do that by trusting Him and His blood and His cross and believing Him, the Son of God who became a man. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray for us. We bear so many weights we don't need to. We try to muscle our way through so many things. We try to, to force or push or try harder our way to transformation. Half the time, we don't even know what needs to change. I don't know what needs to change. I need you, is what I know. God, you've forgiven us if we're yours. And I just pray for our city that we they taste and see your freedom and your goodness and the forgiveness of sin through your cross. And I pray for us that this wouldn't just help us now, but that we'd know that there's no mediator between us and you, God, but Jesus. And through the Spirit, He's going to go with us all week. Everywhere we go. Always waiting for us just to turn to Him when we know we need to. 
Jesus, we love you. We pray we just see and taste that there's nothing we can do to earn your love and we just receive it. You pour it out through us on others. Jesus, we love you. Pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.